If you haven't figured it out yet, a big part of this program is trying to figure out what makes people happy. Now, personally, I believe that happiness isn't just something that happens. I think we all try to create things in our lives that bring us joy. But as Benjamin Franklin once said, the Constitution guarantees all Americans the right to pursue happiness, but it's up to each of us to catch it. Now, I learned that quote from my friend, Los Angeles filmmaker Rocco Bellick. At the 2011 Mountain Film Festival in Telluride, Colorado, he shared with me his latest project, a movie called Happy. The way that I got into making Happy is very simple. A friend of mine named Tom Shadiak called me and said he had read an article in the New York Times that compared countries in terms of happiness. And this article said that although America is one of the richest countries, it's nowhere near the happiest. And Tom said, you know, this is something I've been thinking about because I live in Hollywood and I'm surrounded by very uh, successful, wealthy, talented people who've essentially achieved an exaggerated version of the American dream, and yet many of them are not happy. So we should get to the bottom of this and explore happiness in a documentary film. And I said, absolutely, sounds amazing. Rocco Bellick spent more than four years traveling the world to explore many different cultures and communities. Along the way, he asked several leading experts in the science of human behavior exactly what it means to be happy. And through the making of this film, he discovered for himself and those of us in the audience a few simple answers to one of life's most complicated questions. I'm James Mills, and you're listening to The Joy Trip Project. The first thing I thought uh, when realizing that we were going to make a movie on happiness is I wanted to share an experience I had the first time I went to Africa. I uh, was going with a group of students who had raised money for refugees of a civil war and I was very prepared to see suffering on an extreme level because people there had been mutilated and tortured and yet they were still alive and there was all kinds of post-traumatic stress that I was expecting to see and instead what I saw in addition to some amount of suffering and struggle, I saw uh, extreme amounts of joy and appreciation and gratitude and laughter and dancing. And so I, uh, my first thought for the film was to share that experience, is to tell that story, the story of people who seemingly have nothing, but in fact they have so much. And then uh, I looked online and discovered that there was a new science growing around the study of happiness, uh, something that had never been done, at least in Western science before and uh, immediately got a bunch of books written by people who've been doing the research for the last decade or so and there was some fascinating stuff in there so I realized the film would be a combination of this new science with uh, personal stories from around the world that helped illustrate the scientific findings. Now you literally went around the world I and mean, you had the opportunity to profile a variety of different cultures and their particular take on happiness. Is there any area of the world that you found to be most happy? Well. That's a kind of a tough question because when you say judge a country in terms of happiness, you know that within any country there are people who have it better than others and there are people who are happier than others. So I wouldn't say there's a specific country that I found to be the happiest, but there was an area in Okinawa, Japan that absolutely blew me away. The reason why we ended up in Okinawa 
is that we had heard a lot of research that showed that happy people tend to be healthier and even live longer than un unhappy people. And I remembered from uh, when I was a kid that in the Guinness Book of World Records, often the oldest people in the world come from Okinawa. And so I thought, well, if happy people get to live long, and there's a lot of people in Okinawa who've lived long, maybe they're happy. And what we saw there was just astounding. Yes, they were very happy. We were hanging out with people who were mostly in their mid-90s. They were active and engaged in their community. They sang and they danced and they felt very connected to each other. And that was one of the happiest places I've ever been. And it also seemed from the film that there was a very direct relationship between the very young and the very old. Yes, intertwined within their cultural daily activities. I mean, like hanging out at the community center or going to see some live music on Friday night. Very cleverly, they have woven in the idea of intergenerational communication and contact. I don't know if they're conscious of it. Uh, we went to the preschool. My producing partner is Japanese, and, and he thought, let's see what a 100-year-old person looks like when they're you know, two or three years old. And we got to the preschool, and the teachers apologized and said, I'm sorry, we're not going to be in the class today. We're going to have a foot race through town. The kids are going to have a race. And we said, oh, you know, could we join you? Sure. So we saw this race happen, and at the finish line, we noticed there was about 15 grandmothers, uh, probably 50 kids racing and 15 grandmothers waiting to uh, hug them and embrace them. And if a kid fell and scraped their knee, that grandma would pick him or her up and, and hug them. And, and then when the race was over, the grandmothers led the group in song and dance for about 15 minutes, and the kids went back to school. And as they were leaving, I asked the teacher, I was trying to figure out which grandmother's related to which kid. And she said, oh, you misunderstood. None of these women are related to any of these children. They just came out because they live in this area. They live in this part, where, place uh, where we're having the race. And, uh, and that just shocked me because I remember when I was a kid growing up, it was hard enough to get your own parents to come and watch you play football or soccer. And here were grandmothers who were very disconnected, uh, you know, biologically and familiarly from these kids. And yet they came out to show the same love and support and compassion that we would hope to get from our own parents or grandparents. Now, ironically, the most glaring example of unhappiness in a society is in Japan, in Tokyo in particular, and there's a, a, an, even a, a word for people who work themselves to death. Tell me about that word and the concept behind it. Yeah, uh, amazingly, um, we discovered that in Japan there's a phenomenon that's occurring more and more frequently every year, and they call it karoshi. And karoshi is literally dying from overwork. And it can manifest in a few different ways, but usually it means like sudden cardiac failure or strokes happening in people who are in their 20s or 30s, extremely unnatural ailments befalling people who have simply maybe not slept in the last few days or they've been working 80-hour weeks for a few months in a row. And in our film, it really acts as a symbol for a direction where our culture in America is headed for many people where it's very normal to work long hours. Uh, we're not really encouraged to relax, take breaks. We're really encouraged to work, 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 and that's getting more extreme. And Tokyo just represents what that looks like at the end of the line, where too much is, is too much. It doesn't sound very happy at all. Not at all. Um, obviously, if your husband or wife has died from overwork, that in itself is a tragic experience that we know from the research can lead to lower level of well-being for many, many years. But obviously getting to that place means that your husband or wife has been away from home for extended periods of time. And when they have been home, often they've been described as being like zombies because they're so exhausted and so focused on work and disconnected from family and friends.
you just had a child. And I have to assume that that makes you very happy. But independent of that experience, what have you learned personally from this film and the, and the process of creating it that defines happiness for you now? Well, yeah, having a baby is, uh, is an amazing experience that all my friends who had kids said you could never understand it until you do it, and they were right. And it's incredible. Well, it's just amazing. I don't even know how to describe it. But one of the things that may sound sort of superficial or not that important for me is very important, which is simply to play more. Uh, when I was a kid, I was taught that kids play and adults work. And that's why I never aspired to grow up. And I feel that making films is what I would do if I didn't have to have a job. And so it's kind of a perfect fit. And I do feel often like I'm playing more than working. But there's other forms of play that I did sort of renounce as, a, as somebody in my late 30s, specifically surfing. I didn't realize how important that was for my own health and happiness until I spoke with a couple of neuroscientists who explained to me the connection between the dopamine system in your brain, which is required for feelings of pleasure and happiness, and physical aerobic exercise. They said basically that moving, just being active and doing something you love is one of the best ways to maintain the health of the system in your brain that's necessary for feelings of happiness. So, you know, surfing is something I had neglected for 12 years because I listened to what everybody was saying, which is that it wasn't that important for me. And I realized that it is, and so I moved to a place where I can surf much more frequently now, which is uh, awesome. The film Happy by Rocco Bellic is in festival and special screening distribution. For more information, visit thehappymovie.com. For the Joy Trip Project, this is James Mills. Music this week by Jake Shimobukuro. The Joy Trip Project is made possible thanks to the support of our sponsor, Patagonia. Check out their latest new media and conservation initiatives on their blog, thecleanestline.com. Thanks for listening, but you know, we'd love to hear from you. So drop us a note with your questions, comments, or criticisms to info at joytripproject.com or find us on Facebook. Until next time, take care.